Not safe for network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Carl. How's it going today, Carl? Uh, the usual. It's going terrible for me. Michael K. Williams died. See how that's, I did that? That's pretty <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um, so Michael K. Williams, I think, was most famous for being in The Wire, probably. Yeah, I would say so. I watched most of the first season. I didn't quite get through it. It's one of those ones I've been meaning to go back to because I know it's a barn burner later. But, man, they take their time in that show. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've watched none of it. But I do remember him from Community. He had a good run. And uh, Lovecraft Country, he was fantastic in that. He really was, yeah. Oh, he was an asshole in Lovecraft Country. But then (laughs) at least you get a little bit of insight into why and then we'll never get more because that show got canceled but i guess we wouldn't have gotten more of him anyway it seems like right yeah that was it yeah so r.i.p michael k williams uh so you had me watch a movie off of hulu the other day which was with toby mcguire and daisy ridley called chaos walking that would be uh a different spider-man but yes what would I say? You said Tobey Maguire. Oh, yeah. And well, I'm into the Spider-Verse Tommy Holland. Yeah. Uh, Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, that's pretty much the main cast. Yeah. Uh, There's other people, but you don't know them. Trust me. <laughs> uh, the mayor of the other town, I would say, is plays a pe- she's fairly somebody. large. A de- she plays a decent-sized role. Yeah. And she's. I've seen her in something. I just I have no idea what. Uh, this was a movie that came out right at the beginning of the pandemic and kind of got swallowed in all the nonsense of the pandemic. And uh, it's a Doug Liman joint. So it's like if you like The Bourne Identity or if you liked Edge of Tomorrow, it's got that same kind of weird sci-fi like feel to it. And it kind of starts out as like a village feel where – You know, this kid has grown up with this whole narrative about how when they crash landed on this planet, there were these native species that killed all the women. And there's there's also this phenomenon on this new planet. This is new Earth because everyone's fleeing Earth because Earth sucks for some reason. And this is like after the first however many years after the first wave has landed on this planet, not knowing that this field surrounded it that makes men's thoughts visible. (laughs) Women's thoughts are not broadcasted to everyone, but men's thoughts are. And the movie's not as dirty as you might think it would be. (laughs) You know, my honest, to be honest, my brain never even went there until you brought it up. So I guess your brain is dirtier. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, I think like, there's a village of men and then the first woman they've seen in like decades, maybe like close to decades shows up. I'd imagine there's going to be some dirty thoughts, whether you want to or not. I, I just that it's fine. It's fine. It's a PG-13 movie. I get it. But that's one of those things where it's like kind of a, a leap of disbelief. Whatever. You know? I took the leap willingly and without even 
thinking about it. So there you go. I now he's put the seed. Had to think in, about it because he's that... put the seed into your brain now, and now you won't be able to watch this movie properly. <laughs> he ruined. Well, this, just know who when ruined you're... this movie for you. When you're like presenting a question of what would it be like if women could read your mind all the time, that that has to be something that you would think about. And they kind of address it with him kissing her and her seeing it. Yeah, that's a good moment. Right. But like I'm just saying there would be more moments like that. You know, that act, that moment actually kind of caught me off guard because I – I was sitting there going, ugh, a lame kiss. And then you hear her voice go, what are you doing? (laughs) And you realize that he's projected this fantasy for everyone to see subconsciously. Like it's really – it's – not a blessing by any means. No, it is a it, curse. It's a nightmare. It's, and, and I got to say, there are silver linings, but at the same time, like it's going to create a difficult way for everybody to live, men and women. Just this simple concept. And women not live very long is what we find out too, because they slaughtered all the women in that village. Yeah, the idea that the the native species had killed all the women off was a straight lie, and the men. In this particular village as well, like the boy thinks there was only Tom Holland thinks his village was the only village that existed on the whole planet. Like everything else, everybody else died out and they escaped. And it's not quite that. It's more like there's lots of scattered villages and some of them have turned away from technology and some of them haven't. But they don't really contact each other. So who knows what's out there? guess we'll find out if enough people watch this and we get a sequel yeah so i do gotta say chaos walking feels like they were trying to make a franchise out of this which i have my doubts is gonna happen based off of covid and everything i think probably disrupted this but there were certain things that did bother me in this movie which is general franchise building that bothers me which is they present one or two things that they don't resolve that involve the plot and so they just leave this string hanging there and i hate that shit like answer the things that are within the movie and this isn't unique to chaos walking it's just like this is this this is is what hollywood does now yeah (laughs) so maybe you need to just get on board with it and stop fighting the future. It's not fighting the future. It's just like cohesive movie <laughs> fighting making. Fighting this like, current fad. Like just so Marvel wa- ride. Think okay. Think of it as a wave. Ride the wave until it until it dies down, and then it'll be gone. But Marvel movies, which is what everybody's trying to copy, they tell you all the things you need to know for that movie, and then they lay out some strings that are not important to the plot of that movie to be resolved later, and that's how you properly do this, and I don't understand why this happens over and over again. Well, this guy might be partially responsible because he is not so much copying the Marvel formula as he's copying his own formula. (laughs) His formula has been to do this. He did it with the Bourne movies. He did it with uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which is getting a sequel. And that one was not initially successful, but it grew big enough. As they cult changed following. the name of it and it, that, that helped sell. And it succeeded in the international market as well, I believe, that it warranted a sequel apparently. Plus, this guy's got pull. He's a shot caller. When you talk about that movie in particular, you are talking about the massive amount of money that Tom Cruise and the owner of the Washington football team or whatever they're going with now, he was helping. Dan Snyder? Yeah. He Is that was, his name? Yeah, I think so. Wow, that's weird. You like... <laughs> You came up with a sports name. That's not normal. He's like uh, not a sports guy. He's an owner that sucks. 
yeah, he's awful. But <laughs> he he bankrolls pretty much every Tom Cruise movie that's come out for the last like 15, 20 years. So. Oh, good for him. Yeah. So that's why I haven't seen it. But I've heard that partly how they made that a success in the United States was they just simply changed the name to Live, Die, Repeat when it came out onto Blu-ray. And that just helps sell copies because it said what the movie was instead of just being this like vague thing. Right. That everybody heard bombs. They, so and that just... was the original name of the manga that it's based off of. Was it? And I think they wanted to use that as the title in the studio fought against it and they conceded and then they conceded too late (laughs) yeah but then they were able to switch it back in time and i think that may have also been like not the title here in america but it was the title in other places Mm -hmm. that's pretty common so that might have accounted for it being more successful overseas and this also happens with movies that they want to go big and then it doesn't live up to expectations especially in the 80s and the 70s they used to just then rename it yeah when they would spin it out on tv and onto home video so from the trivia that i was uh reading about doug lyman apparently brad pitt came to him with the script for mr and mrs smith and initially he was like nah i don't want to do that and then he came back to him later and was like please and so i I think i like to picture these big hollywood stars like going to doug lyman and being like please make this movie with me (laughs) so that's what tom cruise did and that's what brad pitt did and that's what uh tom holland did (laughs) and that's what uh yeah daisy ridley did nah no she's cool (laughs) <laughs> she doesn't need to beg. They were asking her. She doesn't need to beg. Yeah. She got. <laughs> she didn't have to audition. She just got an offer on this. And she's like, sure. Whatever. Yeah, I need a boat. I, I just did a bunch of Star Wars shit. I should probably do something else. So she did that. Yeah. She did <laughs> some little independent British movies in between And she does well. a good job in the movie. She's good in it. Yeah. You know, I think the movie winds up and I like Mads Mikkelsen a lot. So seeing him in anything makes me happy and he makes a good bad guy. He's always good because he's so good at doing that like controlled thing, but just still being a little bit charismatic. Yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's, he's got this perfect balance that he kind of does when he's playing a villain. He's sinister, man. He does a good job. Yeah. But he like does more the kind in, of sinister where you're like drawn in. By it's like it. Hannibal sinister, not Caecilius sinister, which honestly kind of doesn't really do much in in Doctor Strange. They kind of wasted Mads Mikkelsen on that character. Yeah, they should have given him a way more interesting character to play in the MCU. They still could like put enough makeup on. Yeah, he's just a zealot. There's just, really nothing going on behind that guy. Right yeah, there. it's really a shame they didn't use him better. Oh well. So. I think if you like science fiction, this is it's a fine watch. Like I I kind of went on a roller coaster cuz I started out clowning on it and then as it went along I was like, actually this is getting more interesting. And yeah. the, there's and you two told things us though. about the kiss thing, which is why I wasn't able to watch that movie properly cuz you'd already put that seed <laughs> in my head. So the two things that I disliked the most about it was the graphic horse violence. At one point he goes tumbling off a ledge just like Princess Bride style, but the horse realistically dies <laughs> and it's well, the horse's leg, leg gets broken and you see the bone and it's gross and then he kills it to put it out of its misery, which is a rough thing. But then even worse, there's this like crazy religious preacher guy and he chases them down into a 
rapids and they all kind of crash this boat down this rapids. And right before they escape, they realize that he's gotten a hold of his little dog, this cute little dog, and he fucking drowns the dog. And it's awful. I was so angry. I know it's at the murdering can I of say, the dog. You are the typical audience member in that, like, it's so fucking easy to get your dander up by like killing an animal. Oh, easy, yeah, like it's absolutely. fucked up that like they can kill all these people on screen in front of you, and you don't even like think about it. But then when they kill Daisy a dog Ridley or kills a cat, the guy, it's like, oh no, Daisy Ridley kills the guy that killed the dog by lighting him on fire. <laughs> And he's standing there engulfed in flames and in a weird way sort of fulfilling his bizarre prophecy that he's concocted in his deranged mind. And so he doesn't even like scream. He just kind of staggers off like he's the martyr now or whatever his thing was. And it's very satisfying. And you don't feel like Daisy Ridley's character, Katie. Katie? No. No, that's – we're getting to Shang-Chi. So, yeah, that's where Katie is at. But Can this I- girl – I didn't feel any negative feelings towards her whatsoever for doing <laughs> this. Got me thinking about something that was running through my mind when I was watching it, which was uh, this like commits a flagrant thing that has happened in Hollywood in the past and in the present and will probably continue to happen in the future, which is like how they use black people really sucks in this too, because you have the big scary black guy who's going to kill everybody. And then you have the saintly, good black woman who like <laughs> who like like all right so th- but they, they, they like fall into the typical tropes right there they have two black characters on screen and they're the exact representation that has been used forever for black people they're they're either completely benign or they're completely scary and there's like no in between with that stereotype and it did kind of suck watching that well in, like, okay a newer movie. but let's so quick i get what you're saying and it's unfortunate, but I worry that if we were to say swap any the race of any of the characters, it, we could either like see the backlash that would come from putting a character in that position, or they would be representing some other kind of racist trope, it's racist actually, stereotype. It's actually you don't even have to swap what they're doing in the movie. Like, you just have to give them more character and not make them two-dimensional. Like you could have the priest and maybe have a story about some trauma he went through and how he's battling it. Like they almost hinted that at one point when he's going to kill Daisy Ridley. But like if you had actually spent some time to make him feel like a three-dimensional character, I don't think it would have fallen into that as well as the mayor. There was lots of opportunity to flesh her out and maybe have her not be trusting when they come in and not be immediately like, I'm on your side kind of thing, like actually have some nuance to her. Because like the white characters do have nuance to them. It's just these two characters don't. And it's just a common problem. But it's not even like you couldn't have them in those roles. It's just like stop making them one dimensional stereotypes, you know? Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't I didn't see either of those characters as one dimensional. So Okay, so what's the other dimensions to them? Well, what are you looking for? I Just mean, they're anything not, that they're draw- not Okay, all right, let me give you an example. Uh the father figure for Tom Holland, like not the mayor, but whoever it was. I don't know if it was his father or if he was adopted or what the fuck happened cuz that they were a little unclear at the beginning of the movie about that. But whoever the Amish looking dude is, right? Like he seems very stern 
like to his son and then later you find out he just wants to protect his son in the world like they're actually giving a couple dimensions to him and like a lot of the hardships that he puts on his son is because he's trying to protect it like it's a it's a fully realized character and it's done very simply just through a couple of things and we don't get that with the mayor character and we don't get that with the villain the villain has multiple scenes where he expresses different feelings it's just that they're all negative he's like a cookie cutter bad guy I mean, whereas like how okay, okay, is let, he a let cookie me, cutter? Let me let me compare like to to Mads Mikkelsen's character, for example. Like Mads Mikkelsen, you see him in a light where he seems like he's being a father figure to the kid, and then you also see him in a light where you realize like he's this evil cult guy. But like, there's different facets to his personality. He's not just one thing. He's a couple of things. Does that make sense? Like they they're not giving the same treatment to the black characters that they do to the white characters in this movie. I mean, they can't since there are no main characters that are black. Maybe one of the leads should have been black. I mean, I would say that the like the the preacher guy and the mayor, they're not like main characters by any means. But you have an opportunity to at least do one thing where you distinguish them from being one dimensional. I mean, it's like. We can sit there and throw up our arms and say, like, well, there's nothing we can do. Like, can't cast a black person then. But that's not true. It's just, like, just don't fall into the stereotype. It's not that hard to do. Like, you can have little things in the movie to make them multidimensional. That's the problem is you just, like, you just do the shorthanded, like, they're this thing. And you don't explore that thing at all. You just make them a stereotype, right? They explored it with the... The preacher, because there was a moment when the guy was saying, like, we're trying to keep our noise down. And he was like, fuck you. And had this whole monologue about, like, shame and pride and we shouldn't be afraid to hide our noise. We should be proud of our noise. And, like, women are inferior because they don't have noise. But it's the same zealotry is always hugely establishing, like, it's – it's laying down some real text for like the atmosphere of this village and what this guy has helped create. I get that. And you don't have to strip that out. I'm just talking about the actualization and murdering a dog of his is another thing that like establishes a different facet of his character where in he's justifying his, his bloodthirstiness by with his religious zealotry. But like those are two distinct things from one another. Like, but they're all religious part of the, zealotry and violence are not inherently the, the same. But he's a violent person because of his zealotry. Like it's it's all one. I note. think that it's see, one I don't note, think dude. it's one. See, and that's I'm not saying like I think that the characters were given a better treatment than what you remember seeing. I think that it <laughs> maybe is, you were glossing over their performances. No, as no, no, no. It's it's, it's the it's the usual. <laughs> Hollywood thing where you just like relegate them to the side. Like we're going to cast a couple of black people, but we're not actually going to give them. See, I don't think he was in the side though. He was like right there in an, in it very important. You just said he wasn't one of the main characters. No, but he was there for a very (laughs) monumental moment in the main character's life when he murdered his dog. Right. But he's also, he's also being the villain who does that. Like he's being the one note again. He's being the, it's a big black person who you should be scared of. And make no mistake, he's a big black dude. Like there's a reason why they casted that Killing actor the dog doesn't part. make him scarier. It makes him like cruel and evil and – Yeah, all of the things I'm talking about, man. There's not, there's not dimensions to this guy. He's one note. 
Like I, those are all different dimensions. <laughs> not really. <laughs> they are. All right. I'm I'm tired of talking about this, but I would like to compare it to Shang Chi since we were going to talk about that. Uh, we went and saw it on Friday night, right? You went with my family to it. Something you could sort of compare this to is in this movie, they are taking the convention of like a kung fu movie, which seems to be the only kind of movie that Asians can get made largely. We've had very, very few examples outside of that made by a studio. I think we had the Joy Luck Club and we had um, Crazy Rich Asians, which doesn't fall into that. But I mean, the kung fu thing, it, it definitely falls into the stereotype of what we expect to Asians. But I think within this, they go to great efforts to not make the character stereotypical, right? Like, for example, when we talk about the villain of this, is it Wen Wu? I think, like, I mean, it's the Mandarin, which they he explains is a chicken dish, and they kind of make fun of the Trevor Slattery character from Iron Man 3 there. But we actually see his whole life and how he gathered the rings, how he falls in love, how he has children, and, like, the push and pull he feels from revenge. Like, he's actually, like, a fully actualized character on the screen. He's not just like a one note kung fu villain where he's just there to fight and conquer and that's all that it is. And that was one of the reasons why I really like Shang-Chi is at every turn when they could have done the stereotypical thing, it just felt more thoughtful. Yeah, he says, uh, he says, I don't want any trouble, though, on the bus. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Shang-Chi? Yeah. And that's what Jackie Chan says in every Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> that's less of a cliche, more of an homage. Yeah, because Jackie Chan literally had his team working on that that uh, choreography stunts, for that bus yeah, scene. All the fights and the stunts were all his company. Yeah, the fights were really good in this movie. It's the first time I've watched an MCU movie where I was completely engaged with the fights. Like, usually I kind of mentally check out a bit. But these ones were exciting, especially, man, that opening bus scene was just just so crazy good and so much humor layered into it. That was really fun to watch, too. The whole thing with the guy who's, like, live streaming the yeah. thing. <laughs> it's just it's utterly ridiculous and putting himself in harm's way just to, like, get likes. How many likes do you think that gets... While it's live streaming. I bet a lot. I bet like 30. No 30 way, tops, dude. dude. And then it like blows no, up later. No, because that guy already got a bunch of followers after he asked Spider-Man to do a flip. That guy <laughs> clearly has a lot of followers, dude. That guy. And then if a video like that starts streaming, it goes viral fast. Yeah. Like things go viral. That's the whole point of calling them that because it happens really fast. That was a long fight though. Yeah. You know, I bet you most people caught at least the back half of it because it was a long one. Everyone was watching by the time it was over. Yeah. That's, a, that's what I assume. Like when it goes viral, it's like people passing the finished video. You know, and I'm assuming that a lot of these movies are kind of taking place at relatively the same time, which accounts for the small amount of overlap in of heroes in each other's movies. But also, I mean, if you were a fucking hero and you saw that live stream, would you be like, oh, I need to get down there right away? Or would you be like, ah, the dude looks like he can take care of himself? I'd be like, the dude looks like he can take care of himself. <laughs> yeah, I would be like, I'm taking the day off still. Yeah, but if you're Spider-Man, you'd feel too guilty, so you'd have Ugh. to swing over there. Spider-Man's always pugging his little nose in where he doesn't belong. Yep. Little bastard. <laughs> that Tom <laughs> Holland, man. Little Tommy Holland. That little Tobey Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially the plot for 
Shang-Chi is when Wu gets the rings, he like comes up to um the what is it? I'm trying to remember the name of the the place. Oh, where the lady's from? Where his yeah, mom's from? Talo. 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 He's he's going over there uh because he thinks that there's going to be some kind of power for him and then he meets who's going to be his wife and that opening fight sequence it reminds me so much of like crouching tiger hidden dragon yep. the way the leaves are kind of circling around and the way it's like a dance as well as a fight yeah a lot of sexual tension in that fight <laughs> yeah yeah really good they did a good job of de-aging the actor as well is it uh tony lung is that his name yeah although they didn't super have to because his character like is relatively the same age because of magic. Yeah, it's like the Ten a, Rings have preserved his age for a thousand years. So yeah, it's like a twenty-year difference though, because he had he aged when he took off the rings. Oh, that's correct. With his kids, and then so, he put him back on. Yeah, so he was twenty years older. So then he has the two kids. Then his wife dies, and he puts the rings back on and never takes them back off again, and kind of becomes obsessed with reviving her. Yeah, with getting – well, specifically, it's rebuilding his organization and getting revenge at first. And then he basically calls in his son and his daughter through trickery to get them back because he wants to go to Taolo and conquer it because he thinks that they're keeping – or their mother in there. And, and he's really being mind-trickeried by this evil force that is on the other side of this gate. Yeah. He doesn't know that yet. And – and meanwhile, Shang-Chi, who was sent to America to assassinate the last person who's responsible for his mother's death, realizes this isn't what he wants to do after he kills a person, which I like that, too. Like, they're showing the two sides of him. He's not just like a stereotypical hero where it's like, I always do the right thing. Like, he's done the wrong thing. And I like that. It wasn't until after he killed the guy that he truly realized, whoa, this was a mistake. But he yeah. has to live with that mistake now instead of having just barely prevented himself from making the mistake. And therefore, he's still pure. So he's you're, you're innocent right up until the moment the knife actually stabs the person or your hands actually you could be right there over him and you're still a good guy so he's like hiding in san francisco <laughs> and uh basically being a burnout with uh katie's Aquafina. character played by aquafina yeah which and is so funny they, dude. Uh, we need to go to bed to early tonight because we got work in the morning or <laughs> they wind up doing karaoke, drunk all, karaoke night. all night <laughs> uh and they're what they're uh what is that? Parking valets? Yeah, that's what they are. They're valet parking people, attendants. Yeah. And uh, it establishes right out of the gate that she's got a talent as well, which is she's a really good driver and uh, crazy driver. And she has a lot of agency throughout the whole movie. She's like his – they're like best friends, but they're not really in a relationship. But they kind of start to see each other in a different way as the movie goes along. Yeah, but they never develop that as like a romantic thing, which I also appreciated that they could just be friends. Like there's tension, but they don't really explore the tension. And anytime that they embrace, it's always – like, it could be romantic if you want to project that onto it, but it also could be fully platonic. Yeah. They never actually, like, kiss anything explicitly romantic. Nothing is explicitly romantic about their relationship. But I think by the end of the movie, their feelings have shifted. And in my mind, they have romantic feelings for each other by the end. Certainly one of the more explicit is when he's in the fight 
and he's shirtless and she is like, oh, damn. Like she'd never seen him before without a shirt. Yeah. And she still makes fun of him because they, <laughs> they still have that fun relationship. But she does kind of go like, oh, damn. And then uh, I don't know if there's anything explicitly from – just he the way he saves her all the time. He clearly cares about her. But I think his feelings kind of get softer towards the end. So they wind up getting imprisoned by their dad because they won't go along to help him overthrow the thing. And that's where they find Trevor Slattery from Iron Man 3. Oh, wait. Let's not gloss over the fact that his sister oh, is yes. like – She's a pretty important character herself. Zia Ling. She she, she, uh, she <laughs> had stuck around when he left – he said he'd be back in three days and he never came back. And after what, three years, five or something like that, she's like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go out and start my own criminal empire. So she runs away. She was never allowed to train with the boys, but she watched them train and trained in secret and got as good, if not better than them. She says better and that's debatable, but I don't want to deprive her of any confidence that she has in her I also- skills. She's very good. I also think She's, I said her name wrong. I think it's Zhe-ling. Chi-Ling. Zhe-ling. I, I think isn't the, the X a C-H. Ch. It's like a she. It's, it's kind of rougher. Yeah, I think Zhe-ling. it's Chi-Ling. I don't know. Anyways. I, I apologize for any of these names we've mangled, uh, but we're trying. She's pretty great in the show. She's got kind of a sassy attitude, and she's got this kind of flamboyant sidekick dude that helps her run her organization. She's basically a dude with a with a clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he really does. That's all you see him do. Yeah. His character clearly has room for expansion. Uh, <laughs> and uh he might be able to to get some extra pens to put onto the clipboard. Yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty one note though. That's true. Yeah. He's pretty one note. She is angry, understandably angry at Shang-Chi for abandoning her. And that get, they kind of have that little mini arc where they're kind of coming to grips with that. A lot of these people have people in their lives that they've like abandoned, like uh, Natasha and uh, and what's her name? New Natasha. <laughs> yeah, that's her name. <laughs> oh, the Florence Pugh Black Widow, yeah. whoever that is. <laughs> I want to say Ivana, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Pretty sure that's wrong. Irina? I don't know. Was it Ivana Hump a lot? No. <laughs> no, that's terrible. That was from uh, Austin Powers 2? <sighs> Awful. The lady from uh, Third Rock from the Sun, I think. <laughs> I thought Michelle Yeoh was awesome in this movie. Yep. She's their aunt who is in Taolo uh, mm-hmm. and kind of trains Shang-Chi a little bit in how to defeat his father because the mother did this thing where he would like... First off, they, that... That fight scene, I really love that opening fight scene, but he's, like, throwing out the ranks, and she's like, oh, is that all? Which, like, such a typical martial arts kind of dialogue right there. Yeah. But then she winds up, like, taking them and putting them on her hand and then releasing them back and having them dance around her and stuff. And so he learns from his aunt how to do that kind of stuff because he has made this decision at this point he's going to kill his father. Like, he's thinking about going dark again. And meanwhile, meanwhile, you got Katie training with a bow, which, like, I heard some criticisms of this. I'm not going to criticize it. It just makes me laugh that, like, after a day, she's as good as Hawkeye. Like, we just keep relegating Hawkeye to be smaller and smaller in MCU. It's like, like well, you have the one guy with bows and arrows, and it's like, yeah, and we're casting your like Kate Bishop to take over for you and we're going to show like other people can do this too and like get it. I mean, it's shots. a regular unpowered person that chooses to use a 
bow as their weapon of choice. They're, by Just by choosing this is my thing, you're automatically relegating yourself to like minor status. But Hawkeye has been present for every fight that the Avengers have won. And every fight the Avengers have lost, he was not present for. So. Well, that's not true. He whooped their ass a couple of times in the first Avengers movie. He is an Avenger. Yeah, but at first, he's who the Those Avengers are like fighting because Aven- he's mind control. But he wasn't directly fighting the Avengers. Yes, he was. You no, know, he fought. He fought because he he fought he, Shield. He also fought the Avengers. Like when? they they fight him. the very first fight when they start to team up and everything's falling apart. Like Hawkeye is one of the people they're fighting. Yeah, but the only people that are there are Nick Fury and Agent and Maria Hill. No, they're not Avengers. No, no, I'm not talking that fight. I'm talking the first fight that the Avengers get into. That's... Like they're fighting Hawkeye, and then at the end of that fight, they wind up like no, they fight Loki, first. bringing his. They fight Loki and Hawkeye, <laughs> like. I, Loki's not present. Just go, ha- we don't have to rewind just like this. Just <laughs> go, go watch it and remind yourself. We're fighting a lot today. <laughs> today. Every day. <laughs> this is kind of our relationship. It's real Sam and Diane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think about Trevor Slattery in this movie? Ben uh, I had no idea he was going to be in it, and I was very pleased. Uh, he was pretty great. He had a whole arc. He had a best friend named Morris who's like the new coolest little cre- cute creature in the MCU. And I think he's cuter than anything in Star Wars too. So he's my new favorite. Morris is my new favorite. He's a Dia Dijiang. Maybe. I, I just read that Marvel has not conform- confirmed nor denied that it's based off of that Chinese legend. So that's it's the exact same shit. I'm shape. sure it is. It's like it's like a tardigrade. With wings. They're probably just not going to answer it because they're it's worried if they say yes, it's going to start no this head. backlash somewhere. They're so friggin' cute. Apparently, they sell plushies of them at Target right now. <laughs> I'm trying to find a ride to Target. <laughs> See if they have any. If they have one on the shelf, I'll probably wind up buying it. That's amazing. Uh, I loved the scene where they're sitting in the car with Trevor Slattery and he's talking about acting and he's talking about how he saw Planet of the Apes and realized that like <laughs> yes. that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to act, but he doesn't understand that the apes are not human and they keep trying to correct him. And he's like, oh, yeah. And they're saying like, oh, so you you didn't realize that they were humans. He's like, yes. And then I saw him riding the horses and they're like, oh, and then you got it. He's like, and that's when I realized they trained these monkeys to act like they were on a horse. And once I realized you could train a monkey to do that, then you could train a person. It's just like so ridiculous. He just like doubles and triples down on us. such a weird dude. He crushes it. (laughs) And even like lying, you think he's lying dead amongst the fallen at the end of the battle. Or towards the end of the battle, and Morris comes up to him, and then he's going like, "Get away from me! I'm acting." <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I like that they were just like a lot of people don't like this character, so we're just gonna bring it up and try and redeem him for other people. For the record, I love that character, and I Iron always Man liked 3. him. Yeah. yeah, I also love the Hail to the King short that they'd had too yep. with Sam Rockwell. That's how you can tell it was older. They were still able to get. Academy Award winner <laughs> yeah. Sam Rockwell for a Marvel short. 
Man, if he's not careful, Ben Kingsley is going to be known for playing Trevor Slattery. Like when he dies, <laughs> it'll be the first thing in his obituary. Um, I also liked the shout out. There were a lot of shout outs to uh, uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Yes. And even uh, the one of the original landlords from Kung Fu Hustle, there's the, the, the rubber man. And there's the uh, lady that with the iron lungs or whatever that screams. And uh, the rubber man plays uh, Gwang Ho in this, the archer that teaches Katie how to shoot. And uh, so not only did they put a poster of the movie up in Shang-Chi's apartment, but they also got one of the actors from the movie to play a fairly decent minor character. With several lines and, you know. Oh, oh you wanted to talk about uh, how they use kung fu movies from the West and the East in this, correct? I Well, I was watching – I watched a thing about how um, a lot of – like up until the late 90s, uh, Western action movies – that used martial arts were like just nonstop cut to this, cut to this. You, there was never a whole fight. I mean, watch, watch say Mortal Kombat, right? And you watch the fighting and it'll be like a kick cut to another kick and then cut to a guy jumping through the air and you catch him leaping and then it cuts to him flying through the air and then it cuts to him kicking the guy in the chest and then it cuts to him flying through the air. And then you watch like an Asian action movie from that time period and one single take is jump, fly through the air, double leg kick to the chest, that guy goes flying. That's one take. No cuts at all. Right. And... Uh, the most extreme Asian action movies will do entire fights with zero cuts and they choreograph like an 11 minute fight, which is unreal. The amount of like work that goes into choreographing that and executing it and getting it right in one try. Yeah. And seeing all like however many people are involved in it, all of them have to hit their marks. They all have to be acting properly and not fuck up their lines and have the action that they're supposed to be doing going perfectly. Like that's so fucking hard. I would imagine to get everybody to give a presentable take all at the same time in like an 11 minute. Right. And so that's not, that's like the extreme on that side. But when Jackie Chan came to America and then uh, started doing his movies here, he kind of, he brought it with him and then uh, the Matrix popular – like adopted it and popularized it and it became the new thing. Yeah. And then – I think like Kill Bill gave it a shot in the arm too because those Japan yes. scenes, uh, Tarantino was working with, with – uh, uh, like was a it, stunt team that was from Hong Kong. Right. That had made all the movies that inspired him as a kid. Yeah, and that movie was so huge that it's just like I think it it, it then adds to it. It's already it happening. It fueled the but, fire. Yeah, um, because it wasn't doing it as a as a as a derivative, but it was doing it because it's also championing this thing 
And it's just when it comes from a talented filmmaker like Tarantino, it's just like, and he was trying a lot of crazy shit with that Kill Bill movies. Yeah, yeah he there's threw a in lot of animation things. sequences, there's a lot of western stuff, musical stuff, of... that whistling, and dude, you listen to the soundtrack for Kill Bill, oh, and yeah, you're like, great. wow, this is like all over the place. It dude. really is. <laughs> it's like so many good tracks on it, but yeah, it's just you know, like... it's actually there's like some of the stuff that. There are some scenes in Kill Bill actually that go along with Oren Ishii. There's like a rap for yeah. Oren that plays during the anime sequence that, uh, that is her origin the story. The RZA, I think the RZA does that. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of really good like hip hop playing in Shang Chi. It's like kind of east this like new popular hip hop style that. I'm not really familiar with, but the stuff they used was actually pretty decent. Um, it worked. It just yeah. absolutely worked to the movie. And you could see that the stunts were being choreographed to that music, which made it really look cool. Like a lot of the time, I think they sort of throw the music on top of the action later. But you can tell they probably practice to this beat. Like there's a rhythm to the fight that matches the song perfectly. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to find out that. Maybe they were like playing the song as they were doing the fight. Yeah, I think that a lot of these uh, soundtrack choices are largely in the past have been more nostalgia based. And like that's for me, the on rewatch, the weakest element of Black Widow is the opening title sequence. Only because it has that, that Nirvana cover <laughs> that's just terrible. It's like, when you're, and that's a trope, but it's reser- that's a, a thing that's been happening in movie trailers. Yeah. And to like be like, I'm going to take it a step further. It won't just be in the trailer. It's in the movie. It's bad decision. It's a thing they've been doing at least since the 90s where they're like, we're going to establish the time by doing a big song at the time when we introduce it. But this but- is worse than that because this is like a really shitty down tuned children's choir cover of a song and so it like it's like they're trying to say like what we're saying the the song itself isn't important it's like the words of the song that are what we're trying to capture here and the mood and you know because why else would you use a cover of a song and completely change the style why else would you do that if not because the words are important so you retain that as the crucial element and you're watching all these children being abducted into human trafficking black widow slavery and it's like here we are now entertain us i feel stupid and contagious and i'm like this does not this is not right speaking of the black widows there was an easter egg i did not catch but i read one of the black widows from the the last movie was in uh like around the fighting pit she was like watching the fight so just a little easter egg there i think most people didn't pick Uh, up yeah yeah um really quickly and if you want to be timely and i'm not saying this would have been better and probably would have been massively worse (laughs) but if you want to be more accurate the song they should have picked was runaway train (laughs) <laughs> and they could have like made it really like down tuned and it's like like they're kind of like run away train 
Never going back, and it's all down. Run away on the one way track. See now that's because that's even that song's about children going missing, and that's what's happening in that title sequence. So they it should have been runaway train on a train, and then <laughs> then you could just go way over the top with it's that. Such a terrible song, though. It's such yeah. a bad song, and it's I okay. They're all tearing out terrible by hear... doing that. That right? I turn shit into worse shit. At least it's like just different color, just spray painting shit. You know, a lot of that is because they want to use the song, and then they get told no. And so, or they yeah. get quoted a price that's too expensive. But a so cover version is like a fraction a of the price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get like this inferior version. It's a, and yeah, and like make a song that's bad better. Don't make a good song worse. Yeah, you know, exactly. there's a a lot of songs out there, and a lot of them are bad. But sometimes all it takes is the slightest tweak. Like take the song by Blink One Eighty Two. What's my age again? For example. In What's My Age Again, he says, what the heck is ADD? (laughs) But when Richard Cheese covers it, he says, what the heck is ad? And that's way funnier. You could take that one to the bank. (laughs) Deposit that. Open a money market savings account. It's got a higher interest rate. Is there anything else you want to say about Shang-Chi? Um. I, I have some stuff that's not related to the movie per se, just in general. Oh, um, the relation uh, Wong and Abomination Easter like cameo was interesting because after the fight was over, um, they seemed like friends. It seems like they're working together, or they at somehow. least have a an amicable relationship, which is an interesting little thread to hang dangle for us. See, and I like these dangly threads, honestly. I, I no, think I'm it's fine with that, but once again, that doesn't affect the movie. I guess that's it's just not like a fun part of the major threat. plot. Yeah, that's it's a fun extra little thing. Yeah, it's that fluff. was my point. That's where it's Marvel's fluff. really good at this is like they're like, we tied so, up all the ends we had to. Here's some fun danglies. That was a fun dangly. The post credits was also great. Because <laughs> once Wong, again with Wong showing up and they and they're repeated, talking to their friends they did who a think they're back. just burnouts and they're <laughs> like telling this whole story. It sounds so bullshit. And then, of course, you know, Wong's going to show up. Giant spinny tunnel. They got to go off. Does some little expositiony thing about upcoming events. I think talk trying to identify what the Ten Rings even are and, and being unable to. I think it is a uh, reference to the upcoming Eternals movie. Is my guess. Could it has be. something to do with that. Could be. Um, his tech could be deviant tech. Yeah. Because it certainly feels like it maybe. It also could tie in with Secret Wars or have something to do with the dimensions. Like we just well, don't know. There's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Um, there are people that think the Ten Rings are going to show up in Armor Wars. I don't know. Which should I do could think, be interesting. I do think you kind of have to keep those rings on Shang-Chi because, like, if you're going to have him No, fight, the Ten Rings, I mean, the the is the name of – Oh, the organization. Uh, the organization. I thought you meant the artifact. No, no, they're, no. they're one in the, the same. The Ten Rings are going to show up in Armor Wars as one of the, one of the competitors. Yeah, Because be. Armor Wars is supposed – Based on the comics, it's basically about a bunch of different superpowers all vying to 
have it's the best Stark's tech falls into the wrong hands, tech. essentially. They all have their different variations on the tech. Mm-hmm. But there's like Crimson Dynamo's the Russian one, and there's like a a bunch of different ones. Um where I'm sure we're going to see Hammer back. So Sam Rockwell, I think, will be in Armor Wars. I hope I'm so. I'm sure we'll see him in Armor Wars. Um, I think that there is a chance. Now, this is a stretch because typically when you see the name Secret Wars, you think Secret Invasion, right? Or is that what it's called? Uh, Secret Invasion is called Secret Invasion. And is that one of the upcoming things is called Secret Invasion or is it Secret Wars? Or am I conflating Secret Invasion and with Armor Wars? Know, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> See, I was thinking, so, okay, we have some interesting um I think powers. it's Secret Wars. We have some interesting uh, powers building. We've got the uh, a- the former Agent Carter girl niece or whatever Sharon Carter Sharon the Carter power broker. is the power broker in Madripoor so there's one evil power base right then we've got whatever the fuck Julia Louise Dreyfus is building right and she's collecting a stable of what seem to be Dark Avengers or at the very least Thunderbolts or something along those lines yeah I, I don't think I do think Something we want that to say it's going to be like a villainous group, but I don't think it's going to be. I just think it's going to be people who like dark heroes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, people who don't play by the rules. Yeah, uh, and now we have the Ten Rings as a power base, which I think might be, we had them already, but yeah, reestablished, but really fully established as a as a threat. So I think that they probably won't be introducing the hand anytime soon. Because I think that the I Ten mean, Rings kind of currently fill that role. Do we believe that Daredevil is in the new Spider-Man so movie? I don't. If he is, he's from he's a, another dimensional traveler and not from the MC and not the MCU Daredevil. But why would they? I've heard I've heard that like it is, and then I've also heard people saying like if he's in there, even if the it's hand be a variant, so the hand knows? may very well exist in the MCU, but I don't think it's going to take up any kind of role. I think that I feel like they did they, they did that Daredevil already. So what it's they like, did with the Ten Rings to what they've made the Ten Rings into renders the hand redundant. I guess is what I'm is how I'm looking at it, and. So I don't think we're going to see the hand show up because then it's just like, well, okay, which ninjas are these? <laughs> you if, know what I mean? What if like another Shang-Chi movie has like at some point in it the Ten Rings facing off against the hand? Then I could see that ninjas being very versus cool. Ninjas. ninjas versus ninjas is fun. And but I'm just they're, saying, they differ- they're not necessarily ha- they off have the table. to differ. They have to m- make sure to differentiate them from each other. But we not. can't say they're like on the table. I guess is what you're getting at. What I'm saying is I I doubt we'll be seeing the hand I- anytime. I we- doubt it too. Yeah, to be clear. So we've got those three as like the new as like. We've got like new Hydra. We've also got the Ten scrolls, rings. whatever the scrolls are up to. But I don't think they are. We don't know what they're up to. I don't to. think they're a villainous force. We they, don't I think know. that they that the scrolls can contain villains within their numbers because they're individuals. Yeah. But 
I don't think we can consider them a force in the same way we consider the hand a force or the ten rings a force or the or hy- new hydra or not the yet other anyway. one I came up with. Not yet anyway, but it easily could happen. I could see a splinter faction of the scrolls breaking off and establishing themselves as like We've got the Kree out there. Yeah, and they're I'm pretty, pretty sure the, the Kree, Kree are, are pretty come back. The Kree are pretty, uh, what do you say, uh, 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 fascistic <laughs> as a race. Yeah. Unfortunately. we Have we met a Kree that's not on board with the Kree fanatical Kree regime? We have not met Marvell, if that's what you're getting at. I guess she was the one exception that we've met. Because we met her in Captain Marvel, sort of. We saw her in flashbacks. I... I guess I'm thinking of the comic Annette one Benning because I know like is Marvel really Annette Benning. I somehow I completely forgot. You don't remember that. that? No, I was thinking of the comics and Marvel was like blue. a man. Remember she bleeded <laughs> blue when uh, when Jude Law shot her. That was Marvel. That was Marvel. Okay, I just I don't remember. It yep, feels like an eternity ago. And now you've turned into one of these Captain Marvel haters. <laughs> I watched it before speaking my of very which, eyes. Speaking of which, I was trying to remember what I wanted to dovetail back to, and, and you've just gotten me there. <laughs> uh, Captain Marvel and Hulk are in the room when they're talking with Wong and Shang-Chi and Katie. And Banner is back to being Banner. He's yeah, not he's Hulk. got he's got his arm in a sling, and something he's not has Hulk. happened. To, yeah, to Banner. I'm. I think. Do you think this plays out in She-Hulk? That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm or sooner. That that I'm okay with sooner as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to wait. I can't wait for She-Hulk. I think that's going to be really, really fun. I yeah. love the idea of Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. I think she's the perfect fucking choice. And I'm looking forward to seeing Jaleel uh, – wait, not Jaleel White. Uh, Jay Li- – uh, uh, God damn it. Jay Michael White? Is no, that it's uh, – her name is – Michael J. White? No, it's the girl. <laughs> her name is like – I got to look it up because I don't want to say While you're looking that up, I was watching a a Jai Michael White movie a couple nights ago, Black Dynamite. I'd never seen it. Streaming services were trying to force me to watch it for a long time. (laughs) Holy fuck, that movie's funny, man. Just like it it so nails exploitation movies from that era. It's just pitch perfect. So funny. Karate is utterly ridiculous in it. it. It's amazing. Did you find it yet? Yeah. Her name is Jamila Jamil. She was Tahani on The Good Place. Oh, and she yeah. She plays. She plays the villain, which I'm putting quotes in because I don't know. She may be more of like a. I don't know if she's a courtroom villain or if she's a fighting villain. But I do know I've seen footage of her training as to fight. So I think she's a fighting villain. Um. And so those I'm I can't wait to see a series with those two. I hope they they spar in real life. I mean, you know what I mean, like on the streets and in the courtroom. I want to see courtroom drama. I do. I want to see it and I want to see them address how the legal system has attempted to make sense out of superheroes, since, superpowered individuals. Since we're starting to go like big picture Marvel now, this is like a thing I've been thinking about the last couple of days. So <clears throat> I've been thinking about how to defeat Kang because 
<laughs> I think Kang is like getting the big... way ahead of yourself, man. <laughs> no, I'll tie it back in the Shang-Chi. That's like 20 movies from now, I'll, man. I'll tie it back to Shang-Chi, okay? But like, I've been thinking about this because like, it seems like he's going to be the big bad going forward. I mean, could be mistaken, but it seems that way. Um, I want to start a social media campaign right now. So that Ant Man explodes out of King's ass. Can we just do this? Can no. we just get? Can we be early adopters I, of no, this? No, no, I don't want to do that. But like, if you do that, you could have like Sean C like kick him in because they're both from San Francisco. So you could have him like kick him in, and then he could expand out. Like it's like a teamwork thing. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. I mean, they're not going to do it anyway. If they nope. wouldn't do it with Thanos, they're clearly not going to do it with They Kang. did it with the Hulk, sort of, in that what if. But he wasn't Ant-Man. He was Hank Pym, Yellow Jacket. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about what if since we broached it? I thought it was fun that it ended super negative. Um, no, let's let, let's leave something for Brandon to talk about with this next week. Okay. Brandon didn't make it today because... He just like decided to have to have his wedding X years ago on this day, knowing that it was going <laughs> to conflict with our recording time. And he just didn't care. <laughs> God so, damn it, Brandon. Thanks a lot for getting married X years ago. <laughs> I don't know how many years it's been. And also congratulations. It's all right. He's going to come back and like have a list of corrections that you <laughs> from you. So. I have not said anything inaccurate today. But I really do hope that Brandon uh, splits the tie because I feel like you came down pretty much entirely negative on on chaos walking. I actually don't hate it. Just to, to dovetail back, you never to that. said one good thing about it. All you had were gripes. because you gripe, gripe, gripe. If I'm being honest, like you came out very solidly in support from it, so it was like not at first. Eh, I don't know. I was like, this is dumb. They're, they're, this no, is, no, I'm I not talking f- about text. I'm talking about on this recording. Oh, that's true. And so I was just like counterpointing with the stuff that I noticed. Like I thought it was – But I also I thought said, it was fine. I also said that I do not appreciate the animal violence. Yes. Bad. Don't do that to animals in your movies because they don't deserve it. It's fucked up. Yeah, you can do that to humans all you want. All right? you want. No. Do it to humans. <laughs> so fucked up. <laughs> Dude, think about, okay, so Suicide Squad, James Gunn got a bunch of hate mail for all the birds that he killed. And he's like, he even responded with like, to be fair, I kill way more humans in my movie than I do birds. Like that was his defense is yep. I kill like a hundred times more humans than I do birds. There was this mini series on HBO called The Night Of, which Michael K. Williams was also in. Oh, uh, yeah. was RP. really good in the prison scenes. And um, <laughs> like they do this thing in it where the lawyer who's protecting or try, trying to get the guy out of jail – gets his cat he doesn't want the cat it's just like in the apartment of this murdered woman and so he winds up saddle with the cat and he's like allergic to the cat and there's this big will they or won't they over the like six to eight episodes whatever it is for that show will he keep the cat and it's just this like background thing and then at the very end of the series they do this thing where like the guy gets out of prison And he's fucked up and you know his life is fucked from that point on. Like he's been through the system. It's put him through the ringer. It's destroyed his life. 
like it's absolutely the most negative ending you could see for something that's technically should be happy, but it's not like you just see how badly they ring out these people. And then you find out that the guy kept the cat and that's how they end. And it was such like, it's like two things. It's either the most cynical thing or the most like meta thing, because like, I think it's cynical if they put that in there to make people smile at the end of it. But I think they were kind of like, fuck you guys. Like you're happy because like the cat saved, but like this, this type of institutional racism is happening and destroying people and you overlook it, but you're concerned with a cat. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's, the, Well, it's crazy too. Cause when you think about like how talented these animals have to really be to achieve these things, <laughs> you did not go the direction. I thought you were going. <laughs> well, like I was thinking about, so I was thinking about cats in movies and dogs in movies. And like, like I, so one of the cats that I really like in movies is in um, that Coen Brothers film, uh, the one about the jazz pianist, Oscar Isaac plays jazz piano. Uh, so if you're talking about the one where he plays guitar <laughs> and he opens for Bob Dylan. Uh, what? Bob Dylan? Yeah. Well, anyways, he plays the jazz saxophone. <laughs> accordion yeah he plays guitar Uh, yeah yeah and as they're going along like uh it the kind of one of the triggering events is him letting this cat out and it yes and then he like finds a cat and the cat travels with him for a while and then the cat runs away again and then he hits a cat on its way home and he thinks it's the same cat and he's freaking out and then he gets home and the cat just got home on its own and he had this completely different cat with him the whole time. <laughs> In typical Coen Brothers fashion, nothing matters. <laughs> but uh, the cat has all these amazing scenes where it's like timing is like rivals that of the best human actor, right? And there are dogs, like the dog in fucking... The dog in fucking Frasier, man. Yeah. Eddie, that dog has comic timing that rivals Kelsey Grammer and Niels Hyde Pierce. And I would defy either of them to say otherwise. I think and they would be offended by my accusation that but they were. I think were, that dog died like seven or eight years into the show. There may have been two dogs. There was two, two dogs. hundred percent. There's also two cheddars in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And uh, oh, speaking of Brooklyn Nine Nine, that's a good thing. Galen Howard, who was on the show, was on Brooklyn Nine Nine. His he in the last episode, so check the, that out. He was great too. He was he had a good. I watched him, and I was very. He did a great job. Uh, he's a good boil. <laughs> which, <laughs> he's a good boil. <laughs> that's like saying you're you were such a great McPoyle on It's Always Sunny. Like I don't know how much of a compliment that is, but he was hilarious on the show. Uh, the series finale is coming on like the 15th to the 16th of September. And I have decided to start the series over and to watch the whole thing and then end it on the series finale. Cause it's been a, it's been a really bright light for the last eight years or so. Always funny. It makes me, I love all the characters and it's just one of my favorite comedies and I'll be sad to see it go, but I'm looking forward to, 
sending it off. It's also good to go out on top. And I can rewatch this show. I've already rewatched the series up to the current point, or at least up to the season seven, through season seven, like at least three or four times. So it's fine. <laughs> I'll watch it some more. <laughs> it's a great show. Uh, it'll be missed when it's gone. Are we ready to wrap up? I think we're getting there. All right. Take it easy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.